0: parties and other amazing events visit milu m-i-i-l-u.com this podcast is also brought to you by photographers edit custom image editing for the professional photographer visit photographers edit.com all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls we are back for another Boca podcast episode and uh we are joined by yet another brand new guest Lucy Baber, thank you so much, Lucy, for hanging out with me today.
1: Hey, Nathan. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I already commented, um, to kind of break the fourth wall here for our listeners, I already commented on the fact that you've got some of the best audio that I've heard in our show yet. It's, <laughs> it's always a welcome surprise when when I log on to the Zoom call with our guests and I hear great audio. And uh, so that's always a good first first step in the right direction. But in all seriousness, we're, we're actually going to get into a really interesting conversation today. You and I had the opportunity to meet at the cookout conference and have a bit of conversation. And you were sharing about a personal project at that point that was quite fascinating. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail later. We're also going to talk about how our listeners can go about planning their next personal project. You've got some recommendations with that. So we'll get to all that in just a bit. But my first, normally my first and and certainly favorite question at this point that I ask our guests on the podcast is about brand position. You're a photographer based in what market?
1: So I'm a Philadelphia family and lifestyle newborn photographer.
0: Okay. So if, if I were to ask, I mean, normally I kind of formally ask the question, what is your brand position? Is that how you would sum it up or how do you communicate it to your clients on the website or otherwise?
1: So I market myself as Philadelphia's fun family photographer. Okay. I even like capitalize the word fun which is maybe corny. I don't
0: know. No, I like it actually. And and by the way, just, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but everybody listening in, if you go to lucybaberphotography.com, you can see exactly what Lucy's talking about here. And she literally has those five words in big, (laughs) bold text on the homepage of her website, above the fold, simple, concise. You're doing everything right, Lucy. This is great. Philly's fun family (laughs) photographer. Um, But but let me let you continue to expound on it.
1: Yeah. So my sessions are like super relaxed and they're really focused on connections and playing with loved ones and family members. It's especially common for dads, which I know can sometimes get a bad rep in the family photography world (laughs) to actually like thank me at the end of a session. And a lot of times they'll say, I thought this was going to be really boring and stressful, but you made it totally easy. I even had one dad say this felt like a date, which is like, The highest compliment I could ever get. So it really is. My goal is to just help families remember how they felt about each other. Like it's really hard to give an authentic expression when you're looking at a camera because you and that camera just met. But (laughs) um, so I try to get them to interact with each other so that they'll really remember what that relationship was like later on.
0: Wow. That's, that's really, I mean, really to actually hear that kind of feedback from clients that they are genuinely excited. Um, I mean, guys do get kind of a bad rap for their (laughs) involvement or approach to photographic sessions and for good reason, but to hear to actually get that kind of feedback from them, that's really, really cool. But I have to get back to this very simple, clear, concise brand position statement. And honestly, probably one of the best that I've heard on the show yet, and not just for what it communicates, but also the way that you actually have it posted on your website. And this is really key. I mean, everybody who listens into the Boca Podcast on a regular basis, you know, that we talk about the brand position idea incessantly, largely because most photographers don't do it very well. And in a, a noisy world that we live in with just endless numbers of photographers all over now, we need to figure out clear and concise ways to communicate how we're different than the so-called competition in our local market. And so yeah. Lucy does a really great job of it. First of all, she, and, and and just to remind everybody, it's Philly's fun family photographer. So she starts with what market she is serving, uh, as far as location is concerned. Fun is, and I mean, it seems simplistic, but the reality is, and as Lucy is alluding to, many family sessions can seem like a drag. They can seem kind of mm-hmm. boring and annoying and frustrating and kids are screaming and people are crying and Um, you know, partners are annoyed with each other. I mean, it's just, it not, isn't necessarily the best experience, but you immediately emphasize the fact that this is going to be fun. And most photographers, I mean, I can't think of a photographer offhand, actually, that actually comes out and uses that word specifically in their brand position statement period. And certainly not in Philly. So you've got Philly Philly's fun. And then family photographer, you're specifying the genre of photography that you specialize in or noting that the genre that you specialize in, Uh, I mean, really, this is beautifully, beautifully done. And, and to reemphasize what I said earlier, it's above the fold. So for those of you listening in, if on your website, your potential client doesn't land on your website and immediately within two, three seconds know who you're serving or who the photographer is serving, how they're serving them in a unique way. And um, and in this case, where they're serving them, then then you're missing out on an opportunity to create some distinction. And so, major props to you, Lucy. I mean, this is a really great example of a good brand position.
1: Thank you. Um, I have to give away a little bit of my secret. Please, it wasn't all me. I worked through. Is it Donald Miller? The yes. story brand. Yeah. I mean that. When I, honestly, when I went through it, I was kind of like, oh gosh, this feels so huge and overwhelming. But the more I kind of honed it down the more it just kind of fell into place. So um I would highly recommend that resource if you haven't looked into it yet. Oh, oh
0: my goodness. We talk about that book incessantly as well. I mean it's <laughs> it is is seriously one of the best business books that I've read, largely because you know a lot of business books, and you may have experienced this Lucy, when you read a business book, 75, 80% of it's just kind of fluff and filler. Oh, and yes. then and then you finally get to the stuff that's that's helpful. The thing about Donald's book, or one of the wonderful things about Donald's book, is that so much of the book is actually practical and actionable. It's certainly easy to read, um, and it does actually require a little bit of work, as Lucy pointed out. But um, they have a website as well that you can go in. It's almost like its own worksheet, and you can fill the information in and really work on refining your brand position. And one of the things that Donald talks about that we've also talked about here on the show is the significance of speaking to how you add value to the potential client's life, how you make them the hero of their story uh, versus just kind of emphasizing how great you are. And (laughs) when you're talking, Lucy, about how you were a fun family photographer, we're really talking about the experience that you're going to give to this potential client, um, the, the way that you uniquely handle these portrait sessions. And um, I think that's a great example of speaking to the value you bring to the potential client's life. So yeah, everybody, we're going to link to that book in the show notes. And by the way, uh, we have something new at the Boca podcast or on the Boca podcast site. If you go to bocapodcast.com, you'll see this dot podcast.com. Um, it's called the Boca bookshelf. And actually, okay. you can go directly to bocabookshelf.com as well. And, uh, and you'll see this, but Haley, who produces the show has put together a compilation of our guests, favorite books, uh, and in various categories as well. Donald's book is certainly one of those. It's one that I talk about quite a bit, but make sure you take advantage of that. If you're looking for that next business book to read or self-help book to read, we've compiled a list of some of the best, and certainly those that have been noted most often here on the show. And you can check those out at BocaBookshelf.com. Kind of fun.
1: I love that i'm I'm a huge reader, and also I, um shout out to Haley because I love her. We spent time together at the cookout yeah she's <laughs>
0: no she's she's incredible, um, and she's done so much for the book of podcast and photographer's edit as well and so if, if anybody doesn't know who Haley is, the very fact that you're listening to this show right now happens largely because of her all the work that she does <laughs> so uh, yeah, definitely major shout out to Haley. She is uh, listening in now as she's editing the show. hey, Haley. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's keep moving cause we've got a lot to cover. So I want to talk about your experience as a photographer and one of the biggest lessons that you've learned, but just to give context, how many years have you been in business for yourself?
1: So I opened up shop on it, like kind of on a low key basis in 2011, okay. but by the end of 2012, I had gone full time, which by the way i would not recommend <laughs> oh really give yourself a little bit of time to work up to that but mine okay. was kind of born out of necessity so since 2012 and it's uh 2020 now so we're going to say that's eight years
0: that which is incredible by the way but i have to ask why would you say why would you not recommend going full time that quickly
1: well i mean full disclosure i didn't always pay my all my bills that first year fair um yeah. i just i I had, um and this is kind of a tangent, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but before I was a photographer, I was a child therapist
0: wow. and
1: I had to leave that field for a number of reasons, primarily because I had my own baby and did not anticipate how difficult it would be to hear child abuse stories mm. when I was raising my own baby. So yeah. I, I needed to step away from that, which is kind of the born out of necessity piece. But if I could do it over, I would have waited to leave my day job until my my part-time photography gig was feeling more sustainable and full-time. I just kind of jumped and hoped that the net caught me, and thankfully we made it work in a variety of ways, but um the net wasn't really there when I jumped, so <laughs>
0: well and you you talked um, before we started recording. you were t- talking to me about how you ended up implementing uh, i p s or maybe more specifically virtual i p s and tripled mm-hmm. your sales, which I, I think is just begging another podcast episode, so <laughs> maybe we'll be lucky enough to have you back on but um, yeah. what would you say then is is over the last eight years or so, one of the most important lessons that you've learned, maybe the first lesson that you would want to share with a fellow photographer or entrepreneur
1: well. So my prepared answer is different than the answer that feels like it flows with what we just talked about. So I'm going to give two. Okay. Obviously what I just said was uh, get yourself steady with income before you make the leap to full time. Mm. Um, that is going to look different for a lot of different photographers, yeah. but just make sure that it feels sustainable because this is really seasonal work and what might feel like a really great season can quickly turn into a really dry season right after that. So if you don't have a solid plan for all of those months of the year, it can be really hard to stick with it. But in addition to that, one of the things that I learned thankfully early on is to find a group of other business owners hmm. for mutual support. Yeah. Facebook is fantastic for that. I I actually started a private Facebook group uh, like six years, six or seven years ago with other photographers in business, uh, which is, you know, especially in the mom photography world, it's can be kind of hard to find people who are really focused on growing a sustainable business as opposed to just doing it as a hobby. Yeah. Um but I one of the things that was unique about this group is that none of us were in each other's local market hmm. so that we were able to freely share ideas, brainstorm, vent to each other, troubleshoot issues and just kind of learn alongside each other and support each other because Otherwise, I'm sitting in this house all by myself all day (laughs) and it can be really lonely and frustrating to have to feel like you have to recreate the wheel all by yourself. That's just not the case. There are so many resources out there and um, the resource I think sometimes we overlook is people, real life people can be there to help because we're all doing the same work.
0: Well, and you spoke to Facebook. Talk to me about your thoughts on the difference between the experience connecting with photographers on Facebook, which, by the way, I, I realize there's quite a bit of significance to, but the, the distinction between that and actually making the time to connect in person, too. Because you talked about how you're in your house alone otherwise. And I, I mean, I can very much relate, despite the fact that I am an owner of a company that's had the opportunity to work with thousands of photographers. I'm still in an apartment alone quite a bit of the time i mean it's it's kind of a yeah. weird irony, and so yeah. I, how how important and and I guess in some ways this is rhetorical, but in a day where facebook there's so much priority on Facebook and people tend to stay on Facebook versus making the effort to drive twenty minutes to go have coffee because that's <laughs> you know quote too far to drive what would you say is the distinction and ultimately the significance of meeting in person versus just being on facebook
1: so I think that's a great question, and honestly i I I make it a point to prioritize both. I definitely work hard to maintain in-person relationships with local photographers, but uh it is going to have a different flavor, right? Like my my friends who are local photographers Sometimes we literally have the same client inquiry sitting in our inbox. So we're not always as, as much as I believe in like the community over competition idea, like it's still important to have a resource and a group of business owners who, first of all, are more self selected Hmm. because you're going to be able to find easier on Facebook, you're going to be able to find people who have a closer match to your specific goals, you know, because you're kind of stuck, not stuck, but you're stuck with uh, whoever's local when you're meeting up in person. And sometimes, you know, like a lot of my friends, even in the past five to 10 years have had to close up shop for different reasons. Mm. And that that narrows that that pool of that network of friends. Some of them have had great opportunities come up. Some of them, unfortunately just didn't feel like the market was sustainable enough for them. And so finding people who were really kind of better matched to where I am and that kind of like this has to work mentality was important for me. But also, you know, I definitely like I've, especially now that my kids are in school, I've prioritized, like I try to give myself Fridays off, which it doesn't always happen exactly like the full day is my only day off. But uh, otherwise, you know, you can work around the clock. And on those Fridays is when I try to do more of like my, my in-person meet for coffee. I started um, I think you actually spoke with Ray Barnes on the podcast. Yes. In the past, uh, she's, she lives like 20 minutes from me and we even met for pedicures one day just to kind of chat about work and we realized like we could spend $5 on coffee or a little bit more to get some cute toes and have like a little <laughs> massage chair involved. Um, so that was fantastic.
0: Yeah, sh- shout out to Ray, by the way. We, she was on uh, the podcast back in episode 157, actually. We were talking yes. about five steps to better album sales. So we'll link to that in the show notes for anybody who's curious.
1: Awesome. Yeah, she's fantastic. And I also in the past two years, especially, have really prioritized attending photography conferences. Mm. I know lots of people have different goals for those, but for me, my biggest priority for attending those conferences is the networking. And when I say networking, I don't mean like like pushing myself on people handing out <laughs> like, business really, cards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not there to like, you know, part of it is like you know, expanding your, your network and kind of doing whatever goals you have in mind, but it's also just to kick back with other people who get it. Um, So sometimes, okay, this is like, my dirty secret a little bit. Sometimes I don't even go to all the classes at photography conferences because it's more important to me if somebody says, hey, we're going to go do this cool local thing. Do you want to grab an Uber? Or um, we're just meeting up to like swap headshots or we just want to go have a really great local meal. I want to have that flexibility or even just my roommate saying, I just want to go take a nap. Do you want to go hang out in the room, in the hotel room? Like that is super important to me to be able to have that flexibility, be with real human beings and um, not just look at a computer screen all day.
0: It, it's yeah, it, it, I I <laughs> tend to I tend to have quite a bit of bias toward the significance of spending time in person. I And I mean, honestly, I have I really can't minimize the significance of the online community because that's largely how I was able to function as a photographer. When I was shooting weddings and I shot for over 10 years, uh, we were heavily involved. And in, back then it wasn't Facebook groups, it was online forums, one in particular. And that forum, I mean, we we connected virtually, but then we actually had in-person meetups from that group in various places in the country and just yep. developed some some really cool friendships as a result. That there, You just can't you just can't compare anything to actual in-person conversation where you're looking at somebody in the face and you can give them a hug and and you can read their expression and i i'm just i guess ultimately and again i understand i'm biased largely just because i have a, a strong craving for connection with people uh, but i'm just confused as to why a, a 15 20 minute drive across town is an excuse <laughs> for not actually making that effort. And we can talk about being busy all day long, but then we sit and watch, you know, binge watch Netflix for two, three, four hours. And yeah. so it just doesn't really add up. At the end of the day, we make time for what is important. And if for some reason you're avoiding connection with other human beings, and, and I say this, I mean, and I know we're laughing, but it, there's a, a serious side of this, too. There are various reasons that at times we avoid connecting with other people. I mean, there was actually a significant time uh, a number of years ago where I kind of stepped back from the industry because I was dealing with some personal stuff. And and, and honestly, this podcast was a way for me to kind of get back and reconnect with the industry on a virtual level. But then, of course, I've had the opportunity to be able to connect with our guests in person, to do interviews in person, and uh, also at conferences, as you alluded to, Lucy. I mean, the Cookout Conference is top three for me and top even two for me in the industry Absolutely, for the significance of focus on community. I mean, it feels like you're hanging out with family and there is just, there's nothing that can replace that. Now, at the end of the day, we want to learn as well. We want to grow in other ways, but there is something significant to be said for connecting with another human being in person, especially one that you can relate to because of your profession or other things that you're going through in life. And we need that um have facebook have instagram have all the things but make time to connect in person because you're, you're missing out if not. And I'm glad that you bring that up. But I want to keep moving because we really do have so much to cover here. Talk to me about- <laughs> I
1: told you, I told you I used to be a therapist so we could get <laughs> off on tangents all day. I'm like, let's let's just dive into all the things. And
0: please. Well, and I'm, I'm a bit of an obsession with psychology. In fact, that may be a, a, like a third or fourth career down the road for me in all seriousness. Um, I oh actually boy. applied to go back to school for psychology. So- Look Um, at
1: you. That's awesome. We're we're kind
0: of taking the, I'm doing the backwards route. You came into photography. I may end up leaving the industry to go do that, you know, sometime in the future, nowhere near. But
1: like life is flexible. Go for it. That's awesome.
0: It's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Maybe that's a conversation for another time, but nonetheless, I I do want to talk about time. Speaking of time, uh, how do you create time for yourself, for the important people in your life, despite being a business owner, having so many different things going on?
1: Yeah. So I've got two kids at home. Uh, I mean, at home, they're, they live in my house. Uh, my boys are six and nine and a half. So one of the things I really had to learn over the years is that you're going to have different phases of life. You know, you're going to have different availability at different points. But at this phase of my life, kind of honoring the phase that I was in when I had babies, when things were crazy, there was no like clocking out because I was always like, Nursing a baby while sending an email or whatever, but but today with a six and a nine and a half year old in my house, I um, am finally in a phase where I can say, I give myself permission to fully clock out at a certain time every day, and that has been huge. I know it's a lot easier said than done, especially for parents who are also trying to juggle working in, in their home. Like my, I'm literally talking to you at my main workspace, which is a little corner between my kitchen, dining room, and living room because I needed to be able to watch my kids while multitasking and getting my work done. I this is another little secret. I was literally teaching a photography workshop from the hospital bed the day my youngest was born. So Really?
0: How in the world did you do that?
1: <laughs> the magic of the internet. But it was it was I mean, I I had, listen, you don't get a paid maternity leave as a small business owner, right? And I, the bills don't take a break. And so I knew I needed to be able to keep my income steady. And the way that I kind of worked around taking time off from shooting was teaching, which thankfully I was able to do. And everybody, everybody in the workshop was like, you are insane. Why are you logging on today? But it was I I did it because I I was able to do it. Um, This is, you know, the juggling act that we as small business owners sometimes have to do. But again, thankfully, you know, when I was in the thick of it, that felt insane. And I frequently was, I did the whole like stay up till 2am to get work done thing for a couple of years. And the thing that I want to say to any parents who are also small business owners who might still be in the thick of it is that now I can say again, that that was a phase and now I'm in a new phase and thankfully my boys, now I can sit here and knock out a couple of emails while they're sitting next to me doing homework. And, you know, I have a lot more flexibility. I'm able to say guys, you know, like threaten, like, don't you dare make a sound because I have to do, I have to make a (laughs) phone call or something and they get it. Yeah. But also being able to fully clock out by a certain time in the day has been huge. It's been huge for not only my relationship with my family, but also just my mental health and my clarity. Mm. Um, It's amazing. You think that time management, like you said, is all about productivity and you have to get things done. But so much of that is also about making the space for mental clarity. And that just, you know, you can't reach new goals if you don't even have, take the time to daydream about what that could look like. So I'm finally in a place where I can log off usually by five, sometimes six o'clock in the evening. Sometimes, some days it's like 2 PM and I still am able to deliver everything I need to get done, but also be with my family and be with myself. You know, I've started like taking up other hobbies, which is amazing. I do like thousand piece puzzles and I've been reading for pleasure a ton. And that's just like it feels indulgent sometimes as a small business owner, because you're thinking like, I'm not making money right now. I could just be sitting at my computer making more money, but your brain can only hold so much and you need to be able to feed it in other ways besides just work.
0: Well, it can only hold so much. And I, th- I mean, in my mind anyway, and this is, I guess, a bit subjective, but this is something I've actually been dealing with personally it, we need to. You were talking about the significance of actually taking time to just kind of breathe and be, and you know, put a puzzle together or daydream. Mm-hmm. If we're constantly going, 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 and just doing all the time, a and then b, also consuming all the time, whether it's mm-hmm. Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or emails or otherwise, and we never give our our minds space to think. Yeah. Um, Or just, again, to be, to let thoughts flow, let them be and let them go, um, which really is the summation of of meditation, at least in one form, Uh, then mentally, we're not going to have the clarity. Um, I've even found that my memory has suffered significantly. My creativity has suffered significantly when when I've not given myself that space. So I've actually blocked off mornings now. I, I have it in my calendar just labeled as something like management time. (laughs) <laughs> but I, that's so that moving forward, I can, I, I can have the space to brainstorm. I can have the space to to think freely, to journal, to to create, and ultimately to do some of the big picture things that I need to as a company owner and CEO. Because if I'm just going all the time and reacting and responding, um, whether it's to clients or to my team, it, it's it's. I'm not going to be nearly as I mean productive in a bigger picture level, first of all, uh, as much as like you were pointing out, Lucy, people think that people think that it's kind of counterintuitive to take the break. but the reality is it can actually hurt our productivity, it can hurt our creativity if we don't give ourselves that space. but it's also going to affect my mental, emotional, psychological health. And yeah. um, that's something that we need to consider as well. So I'm really glad that you, that you bring this to bear and bring this to conversation. It's something that we all need to hear, be reminded of, and that we need to ultimately figure out how to do in our day-to-day lives. It makes a big, big difference. All right. So I want to jump to the next question then. And we already alluded to Donald Miller earlier, but besides building a story brand, of course, we'll link to that in the show notes for everybody who's listening. Uh, is there another self-help or business book that's made a big difference in your life in the last few years?
1: Okay. Yes, definitely. Like I said, I read a lot. So I have, I'm going to like throw out a bunch of titles and you can pick which one you want to zero in on. But the pumpkin plan was a big one a couple of years ago, being able to like give myself permission to say that client is not for me and Hmm. that's okay. We're going to keep it moving and, and work towards helping my, my actual target client. Big magic, Elizabeth Gilbert was huge for me. Um, it's a little bit more, out there kind of woo for some people but for (laughs) me it was it was helpful because she has this this um theory this idea that ideas visit us and that we can either accept those ideas and follow the course of creating and and manifesting whatever that looks like for that idea. Or we can kind of say, that's a great idea and I don't have to be the person to do it. Hmm. And then if you, if you say that you can send the idea back out into the universe and somebody else might be visited by that same idea. Again, I told you it's like really
0: woo. I I don't think so though. I mean, it actually goes back to something I was alluding to a second ago, the significance of meditation. We've talked about this here on the podcast before, but there's a great book called untethered soul by Michael Singer and he describes meditation as that behavior. Well, first of all, he, he communicates the significance of understanding that everything that we do or everything ultimately that we interact with, uh, we, can, we can consider. And this is literally everything, not just physical objects, but emotions um, or thoughts. We can engage with them as objects as well. And we have the ability to choose how to engage with them. So when it comes to meditation, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't think about anything. I have to sit here in the quiet and not think about anything. What he suggests is you you engage with that that those thoughts those ideas as objects and you see them you acknowledge them and you also see them out and kind of as you were saying put them back out into the universe. So that's what it reminds me of actually, um, and I think it's a reminder of a really powerful principle that we can choose how to engage with ideas or feelings.
1: Absolutely, and for me that whole concept um, like I'm a I'm an overthinker I'm a I'm a dreamer and I tend to be this person that gets a billion ideas and just like wants to run with all of them. So kind of recognizing that like you can have an idea and it's okay to still let it go, even if it's a fantastic idea, that really relieved a lot of the pressure that I put on myself of like, you have to do all the things right now because as, as you I'm sure know and lots of other people who are business owners or creative people know, like you can't do all of the things well. So being able to just respect that was a lovely idea and I'm glad that I had that idea or that it visited me, but like today is not my day to do that. Maybe it will visit somebody else and they'll be able to give it the respect that it needs. Um, Really relieved a lot of the pressure I was putting on myself.
0: Well, I, this is, we'll make sure to link to both the pumpkin plan and big magic uh, in the show notes. Big magic has come up before pumpkin plan. Is is not one. I don't I don't think anybody has brought that up that I can remember, but we'll we'll put both of those in the show notes. And by the way, for everybody listening in, if you go to Boca in addition to the Boca Bookshelf that I mentioned earlier, there are show notes that go with each each of these episodes and quite detailed show notes at that. So links to the resources, books that we talk about, and also the talking points from the discussion. And uh, so make sure to capitalize on that. Take advantage of those show notes at bookapodcast.com or in, in the show notes section of your podcast app. So, um, as we continue on, we have to at least briefly touch on photography, Lucy. What is the most <laughs> unusual item in your camera bag that enables you to be a better photographer? Ideally, it's not a lens or a camera. Is there something else that's maybe a little bit more unique?
1: I, when I say that I am a mom, I mean that I was like living the mom life before I even had kids because (laughs) I am always overprepared for life. And also my camera bag is also my, my purse. So typically when I'm out on a shoot, I not only have my camera and lenses, but I also have band-aids, tissues, cough drops, hand sanitizer, lotion. Like I've got the full deal. Yeah. And like basically, the only thing I don't have in my purse is a diaper. Um, thankfully we're out of that phase, but like especially because I work with little ones, it it comes in handy so frequently, and there's nothing worse than like a crusty, snotty nose to ruin your pictures or a kid who's like joyfully running through the park and like scrapes their knee and then like is just beside themselves. It's always amazing to me how easily band-aids can solve a problem.
0: Yeah, almost like having just like a, a general quote unquote emergency kit with you. Yep, it, it's so yeah, great. I'm that person. <laughs> well, and but that contributes to the experience. I mean, you talk about the fun experience you're going to deliver, and that's probably what is going to be, at least in most cases, most memorable for the client. But mm-hmm. it, it's funny how simple things like being able to pull a band aid out of your purse and hand that to them if if one of the kids does scrape their knee, how that can make a big difference in the client's experience of you. You were ready, right. you were prepared, you were kind, you were helpful. I, I think that's really a great reminder for all of us. So shout out to those who already are doing something like this. But if you're <laughs> not, throw together a little kit. I think that's a really, really great idea. Uh, but let, me, let me keep going, though, because we... I mentioned we were going to talk about how to plan your, plan your next personal project. We, you and I had the opportunity, as I said earlier in the podcast to chat at the cookout conference. And by the way, we'll link to the conference in the show notes too. It's actually coming to Chattanooga where I live um, uh, this year. It's really, really exciting. Uh, By the way, if you've never been to Chattanooga, this is not only a great opportunity to visit an incredible little town, but in addition to come to one of the best conferences in the industry. And uh, so we'll link to that in the show notes, but we had the opportunity to chat about a personal project that you have launched. Will you share that project with our listeners?
1: Sure. So um, the project is called 100 Black Dads. And it is basically just, I, I share, it's a little bit like set up as in the format of Humans of New York, since a lot of people are familiar with that, where I pair one photo of my subject, and then I pair it with a quote from them, and I send out like a little questionnaire to gather quotes about their experiences and how they might want to engage with the topic. But the main purpose is to highlight. I, I kind of use this language a lot in my my talking around the project it's to highlight the like nurturing and loving side of black fathers because I I came to a point in my life when I realized that that's not the popular media portrayal and I felt that there was a huge gap that that wasn't what most people think of when they think of a, a black man and a black father so I decided to provide a platform for for men to be able to share their side of the story.
0: Wow. And and it's a beautiful thing too for, for everybody listening in. If you go to Lucy L U C Y Baber, B-A-B-E-R-Photography.com, uh, there's actually a link in the navigation there that says hundred black dads, and you click on that, scroll down a little bit, and there's a summation of of the the concept behind this project. And then as Lucy was pointing out, you can click on these thumbnails. I'm gonna click on one here that says Lee, number fifty-three, takes me to a different page, and there are a couple of pictures of Lee with his kids. And then the quote that Lucy mentioned in this case, uh, by Lee raising my children in today's society won't be drastically different from when I was coming up. I always tell the, them the truth about the society and what they can expect from it. My son at age seven knows a lot more about his surroundings than I did at his age. The black lives matter movement has brought more awareness to our troubles with social injustice and systematic racism, even though these have been obvious issues for centuries. And I mean, it's thought provoking, certainly Mm -hmm. beautiful capture of the relationship in these couple of images between uh, Lee and his kids. And uh, this is, it's a really interesting concept and project. I I have to ask though, I mean, this is also a relatively sensitive topic. Have you Mm -hmm. gotten any kind of pushback? What's the conversation like been around the project or has it just been overwhelmingly positive? What's it been like?
1: So thankfully I... Live in a part of the country and am immersed in the community that is ex- exceptionally open minded and so has been really supportive of the project itself. Even I mean, I'm trying not to get too political because I don't know how political you like to get on your podcast, but, um, <laughs> my, my parents don't live in that kind of a, of an area sure. where, you know, like I, I live in Mount Airy, Philadelphia, which has kind of gotten like national recognition for being this like beautiful utopia of diversity and acceptance. Mm. Um, so it's, it's super easy for me here, but even, um, amongst, you know, my, my network back at home where my parents live, it's, I have mixed feelings about it because I have gotten a lot of support, but it's almost like to some people it might feel sensitive, but it's almost like it's still too easy because I'm I'm handing these really positive images over. I don't know. There's, there's a lot to be said for how people's perce- perspectives change hmm. about Black children when they get to a certain age. And so th- this is... These are cute pictures. They're happy pictures. They're loving. But I have worked really hard to try to capture a broader scope of imagery. You know, like not every dad is wealthy or wearing a suit and tie or whatever. And that was really a big part of my goal for the project was to show not only that to kind of buck the stereotype that like there's the stereotype that a lot of Black fathers are either dangerous or some in some way or doing criminal activity or they're just checked out completely from their kids' lives so not only are they engaged with their kids but they're also doing that in a variety of lifestyles so you know like one of the one of the sessions I did The dad was, he's raising his daughter at, in his mom's house. Another one, he is co-parenting with his partner in like section eight housing. You know, I wanted to be able to show that like, whatever your idea of quote unquote, a good black father might be like, let's push that even farther because I Especially these, these smaller, more rural areas, smaller towns in the country. I recognize they still might not even have exposure to these ideas that, that a person can live a different life than you and still be doing the right thing and live. <laughs> like it's, it seems so basic to me, but I, right. I recognize that not everybody is, is exposed to that.
0: Yeah, that's a great. And, and you mentioned the significance of perspective earlier. Perspective really is everything. Uh, I, I think a lot of my conversations around race and racism, I, I think, are kind of skewed in a way because I actually grew up in a foreign country. I grew up in Japan, spent about 10 years oh, wow. of my life there. Where I mean, I I was the kid with blonde hair and blue eyes amidst a culture which looked vastly different. I mean, to the extent that they would come up and ask for pieces of my hair um, (laughs) because I look so different. But I, I know what it's like to be in a culture that isn't naturally my own and to be made fun of or given a hard time, bullied or otherwise because of that or partially because of that. And um, and so, you know, ultimately, I'm I'm an idealist. and kind of a simplicity freak. And, and it includes some of my thoughts about um, various, in some cases, sensitive issues. But I just I want to connect with. Fellow human beings as fellow human beings, and we may look different, we may lead different lives, but the idea that we're we have to clarify like you were saying, Lucy, that we have to clarify that just because somebody looks different or lives differently than us doesn't mean that what they're doing is quote wrong or bad or less than or otherwise i mean it's 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 ridiculous and sad ultimately that we have to clarify these very basic things. Um, I love that you have been proactive. You know, it's one thing to get on Facebook and talk about political issues Mm -hmm. um, and particularly topics around race and racism. But I love that you have just been proactive in this. You saw an opportunity and you wanted to make a difference and you've done something about it. And I'm curious, actually, for the sake of our listeners in this conversation too, was this the first effort that you made at a larger personal project like this or had you tried others before this?
1: So, I i mean, yes and no. This was definitely the largest and most committed scale. I've done, you know, like smaller personal projects that were more focused around taking specific kinds of photos of my family. But this was the first kind of, the first project that was focused on giving back to somebody that wasn't myself yeah. and also that had a really clearly defined mission and scope.
0: Well, I mean, again, it's beautifully done. And, and by the way, I love to that you, that you, in a sense, took a risk because this, these conversations around race are extremely sensitive, uh, or I guess maybe volatile is probably the better word, uh, mm-hmm. because many times people's motivations are questioned. Assumptions are made, projections happen. And right.
1: And we, I usually have to say on a podcast, especially like fellow listeners, I am white. <laughs> so since you can't see me, that was a risk, definitely, because I wanted to make sure that everything that I did was um, not only sensitive to the needs of the community I was aiming to highlight, but also that I didn't overstep any boundaries that, you know, like you only know how much you'd know. So yeah. I, ha- I did a lot of like checking in with others who are a part of that community to make sure like, is this something that would be welcome? Am I going about it in a, hmm. in the right way? And um, do you think people would want to see this or, you know, like, do you think this is h- valuable and helpful? If I had gotten the answer that, no, this is not, I would have stepped back. I- I've also been willing to tweak As time goes on, one of the one thing that crosses my mind is um, initially I was going to keep all of the dads unnamed, like anonymous. My background in mental health, I think, contributed to that idea that like we don't need names because you don't need to identify people. But I kind of at some point, one dad kind of challenged me on that. And he was like, you know, I want people to know that a man named I'll say I don't remember which dad it was, but I'll say one of my close friends names because I know he won't mind a, a man named Khalif. Can be out here raising his daughter just like a man named Tom or Mike or Joe. Mm. Um, and so I, I changed that and I was willing to kind of revisit it. I put it out there to the other dads and said, is, do you agree with this? Is this something that you support? And overwhelmingly, they're like, yes, absolutely. Cool. I want my name out there so that people can start to change their, their stereotypes and their ideas about what a man named Khalif might look like and, and be like.
0: But again, props to you for stepping out and doing this. And I, you did it in a very intelligent way. And in that, as you pointed out, you got the feedback, well, ultimately that you needed to approach this in a way that, and sensitively and be able to bring this project to bear uh, in a way that would make a positive difference versus, I mean, if if you had just gone about it, it's amazing how people, especially in 2020 culture and social media it's very easy to just get on facebook and type away and <laughs> share ideas many of which come from ironically assumption projection or otherwise and yep. and you know somebody could could take this project and and misconstrue it and say, how dare you? What are you suggesting that Black fathers even need a project like this? And somehow twist it negatively. So it was a risk. But again, you took that risk in an intelligent way. You got feedback. You asked advice. And I think this is a great example for our listeners. But if our listeners are interested in starting some type of a personal photographic project themselves, there might be some steps to consider. You actually shared a list of them with me. And I'm going to list them here really quick. And then Maybe we can go back through and touch on each one of them. You said first write a mission statement, then clearly define your scope and goals. You said write a press release, then determine the budget availability and potential travel needs for both shooting and planning promotion, apply for grants and sponsorships, consider wardrobe needs for promo interviews, plan your lunch, create a mix of easily attainable and big and scary goals for how you want to present the final product And then outsource if possible. Can we just touch on each one of these? Let's start with the mission statement. What does that mean to you, um, writing a mission statement, especially for a project like this?
1: Sure. So, I had with the uh, first, I want to step back and say that I did not do some of these very well. Um, So, part of my thinking when I wanted to share a list for other photographers was please don't make some of the same mistakes that I did because your life will be so much easier if you do take the time to go through. This process up front, even if you don't think it's going to be a big deal with the digital age that we live in, I was kind of blown away by how quickly the project got picked up and went viral and a little bit of it got outside of my ability to control and therefore that I, I feel like in a lot of ways my kind of viral moment for this project came and went very quickly because I wasn't prepared so hopefully. If you do have a personal project and you do have it go a little bit viral, you will be better prepared to kind of ride the wave and maximize that opportunity by doing these things. But for specifically for a mission statement, especially because, like you said, this, the topic was sensitive in nature and I wanted to make sure that I, um, honored my vision for the project and stuck to, um, stuck to those goals. I really, The idea of a mission statement sounds so boring and so tedious, but so I I don't even think I wrote an official like paragraph at first. I think I just like brainstormed and did like one of those, like, I think some people call it like a mind map or like a web, the the old school stuff that you did in like high school when you were like planning to write a paper or something. So I just wrote down just like a brain dump of all the thoughts, all the different things that were going through my head about the project. I had to talk it out. I talked it out a lot with my husband. Like, what if I come across this thing? What if I'm faced with this question? And I just put it all on paper to be able to see it clearly. And it's really helped. You know, it wasn't just like uh, the PR stuff came later, but initially it helped not only for promotional purposes, but also because there have been points in time when I've said, why am I still doing this? This project, by the way, started November, 2016. This is going into my fourth year now, which I did not anticipate it would take that long. Uh, Initially people said a hundred black dads, why aren't you doing a thousand? Why do you even have to put a number on it? We've got tons of dads who can do this. Hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I really have to, uh, the, the, the answer to that is that, um, I have had more than 100 Black dads respond with interest. But the thing about finding dads who want to volunteer for a project showing off their great dadness is that a lot of people have are out here having a life. So <laughs> scheduling and syncing up with between my schedule and theirs has been tricky for a lot of people because they're they're out here coaching basketball and they're out here. Um, one of my dad volunteers as a local politician and he's, you know, either campaigning or doing his actual work. I've got doctors and lawyers who have crazy schedules. I've got dads who are at church all weekend from Friday night until Sunday night. Um, so, so that was a little bit tricky, but also um, being able to define how far I would travel, being able to come back to say like the just even something as simple as saying the goal of this project is to work with uh, showing the nurturing and loving sides of Black fatherhood helps me to kind of keep coming back to like, what is my vision for this photo? Yes. What do I hope to get out of our time together when I'm shooting what do I want to some you know there's also a process of like selecting the quote that goes with the photo and sometimes these dads want to write like a book to to, uh, answer some of the questions I have in my questionnaire and so I have to pull what is the most meaningful part of their quote that also is unique for the for the broader story but also speaks to their individual story I don't it's it, well,
0: there, there are a lot of moving parts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot
1: of moving parts and so
0: many moving parts and a lot to keep up with. And at exactly. the end of the day, and I'm sure different photographers listening can, can relate to this idea. If if you don't have an idea that is bigger than yourself, that is also tied to your value set, um, that is driving what you do, it is going to be much easier to give up or to burn out or otherwise um, having that underlying idea that drives what you are doing. In this case, this personal project is really, really important. Being clear about it, writing it down, being able to come back to it. So important. But it ties to the next point, uh, Lucy, that you shared, which is, and you kind of alluded to this a second ago, clearly defining your scope and goals. I mean, what I've found is if we know the big idea that drives what we do, then it makes it easier as well to set specific goals. What does that goal setting look like for you?
1: So it's, It's changed over the course of the project. Um, Initially, it was looking a little bit more like this is the number of uh, shoots I want to do per month. This is my availability, but also you know it it really ties into some of the other points like how far am I willing to travel I, I have had to revisit the question initially I told myself I wanted to take every single photo of the dads with their kids in their home because that was a big part of my vision was being able to show like where they actually live and and what you know some people might not even know what a black family's living room looks like so like showing them that it could look lots of different ways and and everyone you know is living a different life and that's okay um but four years in now i'm realizing maybe i need to broaden that a little bit because of my own availability to travel and scheduling needs um so i've i've kind of expanded that to include like and their local community and whatever they are plugged into so that i can include shoots that are like at the local playground or at a local park or whatever it's, yeah So being able to define that and then kind of be flexible within that as well.
0: uh, Well, yeah. And otherwise, I can imagine it would get, number one, it would get chaotic, but two, it could get out of hand. I mean, these personal projects that um, probably in most cases aren't bringing in any income, you still have to run an actual business on top of it. You've got to create some structure and some limitations ultimately somewhere. So it is important to be really specific about those and to do that up front so that you know, I mean, you can use that as a filter. You know when to say yes, when to say no. How much to do? Uh, You mentioned writing a press release is the third point. Writing a press release in my mind sounds like something from 1975. Like it seems (laughs) like such an old school thing to do, but I I realize it's still relevant. What does that actually? What does that process look like in this case?
1: So i I still am not like an expert on this piece, but what I learned is that outside of people contacting me to to find out more and to maybe like interview me for a piece or something, there was initially especially a little bit of me needing to put the project in, in people's faces. And a press release to me really just provides the consistent language to be able to put it in front of lots of people um, so that you're not again constantly recreating the wheel you don't have to come up with it on the on the fly every single time and it might look different a press release is just a, a place to put all of the things like your mission your scope your goals all in one place that so that you can share it with whomever you might need to share that with. I actually outsourced that piece because I've gotten such overwhelming support. I've had a lot of people ask like, how can I help? How can I support this? And my cousin who doesn't even like do press releases for a living from what I can tell, she just wanted to help and said, I can Google it and figure out how to do this. (laughs) Said, let me write a press release. And so I was like, awesome. And so now I have that, that um, again, it's just, it provides that consistent language when somebody does ask for, you know a write up i can send that and then it allows anybody who wants to interview me or do a feature on the project um it gives them that that lead in writing so that they have the the same language to just throw it together
0: okay and and then you've alluded to this at least a couple of times already you talk about budget, availability, and then potential travel needs for both shooting and planning promotion. I can imagine that this, in in many ways, kind of ties to the idea of defining scope and goals. Again, you could spend endless amounts of money on this personal project, and that probably doesn't make sense financially and certainly for your business. Um, what, What does it look like to define the budget, the availability, and ultimately the travel, how are you able to communicate that effectively? I mean, it, you put the word out that you've got this project going. I'm sure the response at times has been really incredible, um, but I can only imagine that you have to say no as well.
1: Oh gosh, all the time, which is heartbreaking, especially because, so I started it November, 2016. By April, May, June of 2017, I mean, rewind to that, that space for a minute. That was a really crazy time in the world. It was like a, a culmination of like Black Lives Matter peaking and also post-election. There was a lot of just energy in the world that people wanted to be able to do all the things and help in whatever way they could. And that was around the same time that I got picked up by several news outlets, I guess I should say. Uh, I, I also managed to Ha- find, I don't even remember how he found me, but I, I got a volunteer that was very high profile for the project and that helped to get a lot more visibility on mm. it. I worked with Malcolm Jenkins from the Eagles, uh, volunteered wow. for to participate, which was fantastic. He's a, their family is fantastic. They're just lovely people. But having that high profile person really launched it into a different sphere very quickly, which I wasn't really prepared for. I was thinking, Well, the time that I need to a lot is like two to four shoots a month while, you know, it was my slower season. I thought this is all I need to do. And then all of a sudden, I had to also include things like how much time am I going to be able to devote to uh, phone calls of people that want to interview me. I was featured; the project was featured on um, Scary Mommy and Huff Post and um, Cafe Mom, and a couple of a, a local news outlet wanted to interview me on their morning show. So things got really ramped up very quickly, and I had not anticipated any of that. So once it kind of had that viral moment, I had people across the country volunteering. I had one person who said, like, when will you be in London? And I was like, well, I wasn't planning on coming to (laughs) London. (laughs) Uh, That's not really like, I feel like you might have this other idea of the kind of photographer I am. I'm just uh, like a mom with two kids here. Uh, I don't really have a travel budget. I don't really have any of this in place. Um, And unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't, I feel like because I didn't really anticipate how quickly, I mean, I feel like some of us are still kind of learning what virality can mean in this new time that we're in. But if you are not prepared to ride it, it will fall very, very fast. And it's a little bit like that 15 minutes of fame thing. Like, I had like exactly 15 minutes, but because I wasn't prepared to do to fund or like line up childcare for anything outside of that, like it f- fell apart very quickly. And unfortunately um, because I really wanted this project to get as much visibility as possible. And you know, it's uh, your project is only limited by your own availability. And because I just wasn't in that space to be able to, to travel a lot, it, it, It got quiet again. It didn't, it didn't fall flat on its face. I shouldn't say that because the project's still going. I still feel connected to it. I'm still able to get, you know, get it out there to people. But um, maybe if I had anticipated those needs a little bit better up front, I could have extended that visibility Well,
0: anticipation Um, is a a really good word too, because I know that as artist types, and I'm certainly guilty of this, it's easy to get excited about a big idea and not think about all the moving parts, the details. Oh gosh, Um, yeah. And I mean, honestly, this is why this conversation specifically is so important for a big part of why it's so important for our listeners. We have to remember that there are details, even for something as just wonderful as a personal project like this, we still have to think about the moving parts or we can get eaten alive by the whole process. So exactly, I want to respect your time and everybody listening in too. We have just a couple more points I want to touch on that that you shared with me. You you mentioned applying for grants and sponsorships. Is that, I mean, that's something that's probably foreign to most photographers. What did that process (laughs) look like for you?
1: So it looked very foreign to me, too. And that's one of the ones that I did not successfully pull off very well um, at all. I applied for I had a whole list of grants. And because the learning curve was so steep, one by one, all the deadlines passed before I really got my act together. I had all these ideas of sponsorships that I wanted to apply for and one by one. Those felt too big and daunting. So I included it though, because I do feel like it would have been extremely valuable. And again, if you can find a way to get ahead of that and maybe do your research or find a way to outsource that piece and find, like, you know, somebody to do some admin work for you behind the scenes to help, hopefully you'll have a stronger foundation to start with than I did. If I had had some grants and sponsorships though, if I had had any amount of you know, cash flow to be able to support the project, I might have been able to travel to London, or I might have been able to, you know, do some of the other work to promote it that I wanted to. Instead, what ended up happening is I did more private solicitation. Um, Some of the dads themselves have chipped in to be able to support financially. And again, it's like, I'm not making any money off of this. It's, It's really just paying for my travel and my time, which was a little bit hard to wrap my head around because it's not a for-profit project, but you still are giving resources that are taking away from your work, your paid work. And so being able to kind of rectify that in my head that it's okay to accept donations was a process for me. I also have a very, very small Patreon account that uh, like five people donate to every month, which is so lovely. But, you know, just if, if I had dedicated some more time to that piece it could have been a lot more sustainable
0: well again these are moving parts that probably many of us wouldn't consider so i'm I'm glad that i appreciate the fact that first of all you're transparent about how you you didn't really know how to go about it so it didn't work out in the end but Mm -hmm. we have to at least consider the significance of the financial pieces necessary to make a project like this happen it's definitely a good reminder. I wish I had grant experience to to speak from, but for those of you listening in, make sure that you do you have considered the financial pieces um, of a personal project, especially of one of the scope, uh, because you have to consider how it does affect the um, well your personal financial status, but then also the finances of your business as well. You still have a business to run. And that's important to keep in mind. You mentioned considering wardrobe needs for promo interviews. I think that kind of speaks for itself. I I want (laughs) to, I want to jump to the next point though. Plan your lunch. And this could probably be an episode in and of itself. Can you just briefly sum up what, what that looked like? Um, and what our listeners should keep in mind?
1: So for me, it really came down to like deciding on the platforms that I would host the images. So um, making the decision, I've kept it on my website, mostly because I am still running a business and I feel like the traffic really helps that piece, Uh, but also because I didn't have the time to create a new website and I, but I did create separate social media accounts for the project. And also one of the biggest ways that the project got started for me was tapping into my newsletter. So, um, I have a, a nice newsletter of paying clients that I've worked with and just being able to announce, I'm doing a thing. Do you know anyone that wants to volunteer or do you have ideas for, um, any part of it? And that really helped to kind of kickstart things. It was uh, one of my paying clients was the very first volunteer for the project. So I was able to see their family again. And then it kind of took off from there. I solicited names of other people that might be interested. I emailed them directly. And then, you know, eventually it took off and had a a whole movement of its own. But yeah, being able to know how you're going to communicate and how you're going to share the images is obviously a part of it.
0: And then, I mean, tied very closely, this idea of a launch is understanding what goals you have. We've spoken to the idea of goals already, but when you talk about creating a mix of easily attainable and then big and scary goals for how you want to present the final product, what did that actually look like on a practical level?
1: So I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Um, (laughs) I have said, I've said from the start that I would love to turn this into a book. I haven't because i I'm only about halfway through the 100. So because I'm not quite at the 75% mark is when I really wanted to be able to pitch this to some kind of either print lab or publisher. I haven't even decided on that piece, Um, but the big scary part is the book. So deciding that I'd love to do that, but also, you know, easily attainable things like local gallery shows are still on my radar to be able to do once I have a little bit, once I feel like I'm, I'm kind of winding down with the shooting piece. I did, you know, like the promotional stuff was cool. Some of it kind of fell into my lap, but like one thing I did that was really interesting is I went to, I was invited to like, I don't even remember. There was like an art, like a student art show at Temple University here in Philly, that they just reached out and they were like, we're having this um, cookout for this one sorority, and it's going to be a lot of Black fathers there, and we want to just kind of give you a chance to share the project with them, and also maybe you can give back as a local artist by judging this student art show. Um, So like little things like that kind of popped up that were, like, like I said, kind of easily attainable, allowed me to kind of present the the project and feel like I was doing something besides just taking photos and posting them online.
0: And, and a lot of it probably, I mean, a lot of those opportunities come from just making an effort on a proactive level at conversation and and sharing the project and conversation. I mean, online certainly, but in conversation even because um, some, some people may not be following your brand. They're not aware you share that And then they share that with their friends and it gets out and opportunities come as a result. I mean, have you had those experiences where a conversation turns into a photo shoot?
1: Absolutely. Um, I am very introverted (laughs) in real life. Um, So probably not as many opportunities as, say, an extrovert might have. I mean, I, I go, my kids are in a very diverse public school and there are dads that I see every single day that I'm still like, too shy to actually be like hey do you want to volunteer for this but it is what it is you know there's certainly been other opportunities where word of mouth and casual conversations have led to something else and they've volunteered for the project or helped me promote it and been really excited about it
0: you mentioned outsourcing earlier and this is the last talking point but how can you list the various ways that outsourcing has played a role in this personal project for you
1: i wish i had thought to do it earlier and more effectively. But uh, again, like my my cousin was able to do the press release. I wish that I had tapped into more grant writing friends to be able to help me with that piece, but also outsourcing. One of the decisions I made about a year or two in was to bring on, I guess, kind of associate photographers for the project. That's been I, I love both of the ladies that I've worked with, uh, Sabrina Guyton here in Delaware County, Pennsylvania and Ray Adesina. She's just a force in herself. Oh, She's Ray amazing. Is
0: amazing. We actually had, she was back in a uh, book podcast episode number 200. Yep. Just a beautiful, beautiful personality. And one of the most talented boudoir photographers uh, that I've oh, seen to date. Just amazing.
1: She really is. And I'm, I'm, Thrilled that she's really found her niche. Before she was really taking off with, uh, boudoir, she had been focusing a lot on families. And so it seemed like a really natural fit for her to join this project. But then, you know, life happens. Sabrina had another baby. Ray has kind of taken off in a different direction. And, um, they're both a part of the project. They've both contributed images and helped me find more volunteers. But that piece has quieted down a little bit because They've gone off and done amazing things elsewhere. So, you know, there's pros and cons to outsourcing the photography piece. But I'm so glad, especially because, as I mentioned, being a white photographer, trying to capture a different demographic than my own, being able to bring in two Black women photographers was important to me to be able to kind of, again, remove myself and say, this isn't about, me necessarily. This is about this platform we want to provide to support black men. Yeah. And it, it really doesn't even come down to my art necessarily. It's about it's about how we can tell help to tell that story.
0: Well I, I really appreciate you making so much time to share with me, with our listeners today, about not only the project, but what you've learned through the process. And like it or not, there are i mean it and I am reminded of this pretty consistently because again, I tend to be a bit of a simpleton when I, in my approach to the life and business, and I forget that there are a lot of moving parts underneath, um, or maybe I just choose to ignore the moving parts underneath, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know we we have to remember that we that that there are multiple elements at play when we launch a project like this. And I really appreciate you walking us through, not reminding us of that, but then walking us through that process a little bit. I know that you offer some mentoring and, and teaching or coaching. Can yeah. our, where can our listeners learn a little bit more about that and just generally follow you online as well?
1: So my website is obviously the best source for all the information, lucybaberphotography.com. I always say it's, it's B-A-B as in boy, ER because a lot of people misspell my last name and on that website, there is a whole page dedicated to the 100 Black Dads Project. At the top, there's a link. And there's also a link to, I don't remember what I'm calling it right now. It's either mentoring Mentorship, or- Mentorship,
0: yeah, it's actually Mentorship. what it says. Okay. I was mm-hmm. like,
1: or it's for photographers. Yeah. There's a link to um, information about my mentorships. So you can contact me directly to find out more about that. I am just in 2020, I've launched a new small group mastermind and hoping to add another one um, in a couple of months. So I'm always happy to help other photographers. You can also follow me on Facebook, Lucy Baber Photography, or you can follow 100 Black Dads Project. And on Instagram, my handle is at Lucy Baber, or you could follow at 100 Black Dads Project.
0: Cool. And, and we're going to actually link to all this in the show notes, too. So for everybody listening in, all you have to do is just go to bocapodcast.com or to the show notes. Uh, it, at the show notes there at bocapodcast.com, but you can also go to the show notes in your podcast player and uh, see that information there as well. Thanks once again, Lucy, for hanging out with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit milu, This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.